unexpectedly I stayed. When I came to South Bend, I thought it would just be another transitory stop. And of course, that goes to what my two books have in common that you are mentioning. It is a necessity for us all to confront both our families, but also our country's past. Boy, Smiley, you've hit on something that I'm still struggling with. We left the South to get away from Jim Crow, and then we met Jim Crow in the North. All right, Gabrielle, welcome to the Dre and Smiley podcast. You're really both smiling. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just read this quick bio for, for our audience so we kind of get a sense of uh, who Gabrielle is. So Gabrielle Robinson, through the books she has authored, tells stories about people that reveal their personal situation within its historical context. One reason for her fascination with the intersection of the personal and the historical stems from her own experience. Born in Berlin, in 1942, her father's plane was shot down in 1943. After her family was bombed out twice, they fled Berlin in 1945 and became refugees in a North German village. This was the beginning of a string of migrations from a village in Northern Germany to an Ursuline boarding school in Vienna, another in the Baltic Sea, then several years in Darmstadt where she earned a baccalaureate. In 1962, she moved to Urbana, Illinois with her mother and stepfather. After a 1964 VA, she won a Woodrow Wilson Fellowship and got an MA at Columbia University in 1965. She then moved to London with her Scottish husband and earned a PhD from the University of London in 1968. Gabrielle taught at the University of Illinois, at Indiana University South Bend, and abroad. Gabrielle currently is settled in South Bend, Indiana with her husband, Mike. So that's, uh, let me know if I missed anything there, Gabrielle. Did I miss anything? Not at all. Not at all. Unexpectedly, I stayed. When I came to South Bend, I thought it would just be another transitory stop. But what I really loved were the non-traditional students we had at IU South Bend. I, wasn't, I was used to the upper middle class co-eds you know, of a major university. And here, these were students who worked, who were first-generation college students, okay. for whom this was really a transformative experience. And it was wonderful. I was an English professor. It was wonderful to work with them. Nice. So I loved it. My son loved it, and we stayed. So you're currently in South Bend. You know, and I, I don't know if you remember this. My first email communication to you was my connection to you indirectly through your book, Better Home South Bend, because my mom's family is from South Bend. Oh no, really? Yeah, yeah. So I spent many summers there, spent Christmases there. And when I first heard about the book, Better Homes of South Bend, it was like all these dots got connected because I heard about names of people that my mom would talk about, the Cobbs, for example. Oh, really? Oh, oh, okay, okay. And did you happen to know um, Marsha Reeves-Jews, Marsha Reeves then? She has a national 
podcast and she interviews, my God, the Nigerian president and everyone, and she's from South Bend. So you might know her. You might want to contact her, in fact. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to reach out to her. Reeves Drews. She She's an amazing woman and she has fantastic people on and she's going to have us Better Homes folks on for a two-hour show in early September. Excellent, excellent. So um, so before we start talking about it, I know you've authored a number of books, if my count is correct, eight total. And today I hope to talk to you about two of them. So the first question we have for you before we get into to, to the, uh, the, the two books, we'd like to ask kind of like an opening question to get our audience to get a sense of, you know, more about who you are. So if you think about your passion, right, your current passion, I, 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 think, I think we can guess what it is, but I want to assume, what would you say is your current passion and how did you discover it? Um, my passion had always been writing, as you can assume, but my passion in the last, oh, maybe ten, starting the last 10 years, my second one is helping others tell their stories. Whenever I do a um, podcast or interview, and so I always invite people who want to tell their own stories and are somehow stuck to get in touch with me. And I'm working with people across the country because there are so many uh, who want to do that but just don't quite know how to get started. Right now, I'm working in the library with a bunch of women who always wanted to tell their stories, and some are quite traumatic, but just never had the courage to do so. And now we are sort of doing a step-by-step. -step. I meet with them every two weeks, and uh, we are working towards that. So that is really my second passion. It is wonderful to help others, uh, you know, go through that sometimes stressful, but basically therapeutic uh, journey of confronting their past. And of course, that goes to what my two books have in common that you are mentioning. It is a necessity for us all to confront both our families, but also our country's past. When, when you talk about the, the passion and the stories of, because uh, I, I was going to I saw in one of your YouTubes where you have a call to action that if you want to create your stories to contact you, but from all of the different people who've contacted you with their stories, have you found any that were like an epiphany moment, something that just changed you from your perspective of the joyous part of their experiences or all the stories, something that's a trial and tribulation of their past? Is there any sort of just extremely happy, optimistic type stories, or do you find it's all doom and gloom? <laughs> uh, this is smiley talking. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, no, it's absolutely not uh, gloom and doom. It's as much inspiring for me to hear them do this. And sometimes they tell these stories because they can free themselves from the hurt or the struggle that it was. And it is for them really hugely helpful. It's not, it's not at all, uh, as you say, doom and gloom. There is, you know, as there are challenges, but to talk about them, to put them on paper, to think about them is really to overcome them. Sometimes when I was thinking of some of these stories, it's and, and you have that positive experience at the end of the journey when your story is out there and you've gotten this burden off yourself. I think of the image of the fiery phoenix out of the ash comes something beautiful 
because you're an awakening something different. Absolutely. And, and I want to use that as a theme. I know we're going to talk, we're, we're going to talk about your books, but I, I want to use that theme from the responsible versus accountable. Because I found that in some of your your conversations, like you're not responsible for your parents or your grandparents or great grandparents, but you are accountable. And I was just wondering, how would you how do you discern between a responsible and accountable or what are you accountable for when you look at something that occurred 50 to 80 years before your arrival? Boy, Smiley, you've hit on something that. I'm still struggling with because I'm not sure it's totally right to say that one isn't responsible. Um, you know, not directly. I was born in 40, 1942, so clearly I wasn't part of this in any way. But there is still some responsibility there. That's a real issue that I haven't quite resolved. But basically, we are accountable mm. and we need to face it. And um, that's what got me to write the memoir, Apis Berlin Diaries. But that is also a message about better homes of South Bend. Because as much as that is a success story, right, a Phoenix story for the better homes people, it is also an ongoing struggle of so many issues that haven't been resolved and that are still with us, that still contribute to the ever-growing racial wealth gap, you know, the lack of um, African-Americans to get houses, which are the foundation for the middle class of their wealth that they can pass on to their children. That that is not happening is really cheating African-Americans out of millions of dollars and the future. And that is still going on. They, you know, do studies. Uh, there was a 1915 study, I believe, by the New York Times of some eastern states, New Jersey, I'm not quite sure about New York and so on, where only 25% of the loans, the mortgage loans, went to African-Americans. Mm -hmm. Despite all the, you know, new initiatives, uh, before that, it was 98% of mortgages went to whites. You know, and the FHA, mm -hmm. who was supposed to help people who couldn't afford the down payments and so into homes, they, for a long time, actively supported the segregation, the discrimination. That's a great launching point to get into Better Homes of South Bend. So can you kind of summarize that book for, for us and then I have a follow-up question in terms of um, how this story came to your attention. So how would you summarize Better Homes in terms of what is what is that all, what is it all about? Well, Better Homes is about a group of people from the South who came to South Bend. Some South Bend was an industrial city with the Oliver Plough and Studebaker and others uh, in order to make a better life. And then, as one so memorably put it, we left the South to get away from Jim Crow, and then we met Jim Crow in the North. Because they met discrimination everywhere, but where it hurt them the most, in a way, was in housing. They were relegated to the poorest areas in town near the factories and the bars and all that was going on. It was no place to raise children. And they were driven, although many of them didn't even have a... a weren't able to finish a, a, universe, um, a high school degree because they had to work in the fields and, uh, you know, 
couldn't couldn't do it. Um, they were determined to find what they thought would be a beautiful, nice place to live. And it was a huge challenge at the time. Um, they saw doctors, two doctors, Dr. Wagner and Dr. Chambly, these were one of the earliest black doctors in South Bend. They tried to buy ha houses and they couldn't. Um, Mrs. Wagner called a bank and they said they had just the perfect one. They heard what they wanted. They had just the perfect house for her. Uh, they just need to come in to see, you know, and they would take them there. So when she and her husband showed up, the banker point blank said, that house isn't for you. And Dr. Chambly went to a real estate place and saw all these beautiful homes advertised and he didn't even get to see a realtor. He was turned away by the secretary because there was nothing here for them. What I found fascinating about your research is when I listened to your YouTube conversation about the better homes, you went into the subliminal redlining, meaning the houses weren't built to standard, the codes and the sewage wouldn't go in because the better homes people. And I, from current, from, I'm in Tampa, Florida, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and you hear about redlining and discriminations, but the depth of the discrimination to the standard and the quality of the houses of not having doors in the closet or not having proper sewage, it just went to another level of, uh, discrimination that I wasn't even aware of until I listened to your your whole uh, video about the better homes. Yeah. Um, another thing I thought was fascinating in your research is was the, the financial. So the black people had the financial wealth at the time because they had a good job making good money, even though they had the bad jobs, the bad jobs, they were making the same pay, but they still couldn't afford the, the houses. I always thought, well, they couldn't afford it, and that's why they redlined them. But no, you exploit that it wasn't because of cash. They didn't want their money, which was another thing that was eye-opening in your book, which is amazing. You hit about two of the biggest hurdles. Uh, the uh, builders kept changing their prices and upping their prices and not building to code. And the biggest hurdle probably was the banks. They were just weren't used to giving mortgages to African-Americans. They would give car loans or something small, but not for, for houses. And it was only because they persevered. And then this guy from the FHA, um, one of the race relations advisors, happened to be a real fighter. And I talked to, I don't know, did you know Richard Rothstein's book, The Color of Law? Yes, I've heard of it. I've heard of it in your video. Um, it's fantastic. I mean, let's talk about all of that. And I emailed him and said, you don't mention these race relations advisors. And he says, yes, he's aware of that. But there were some, but uh, not many were, you know, as forceful as this uh, this guy was, whom the Better Homes people had. And it was interesting, too, that stands out for me, Gabrielle, is that these families came together at a time when it was so challenging to survive. Like you were saying, they came to South Bend and they confronted Jim Crow head on. Where, where did that organization come from? Because if I understand correctly, there was a, they set up a committee, they had roles in that committee, 
and they had guidelines they had to follow as they pursue this goal of building these 22 homes. Where, where did that come from, do you think, based on your research? Oh, yeah, that is, I mean, two things. Their main job, what struck me first, was the secrecy. They could not let word get out about what they were going to do because then the powers that be would have stopped them. So there was absolute secrecy about where they were going to build, what they were going to do. The second was an organization. And the attorney whom they had, J. Chester Allen, um, really enforced that. That organization was absolutely crucial. And they stuck with it. They had president, vice president, board of directors, and every decision was voted on, was discussed. Um, the board of directors' main job was to collect money because they kept needing money for down payments and for uh, you know, securing the lots and all that. And many got frustrated because it took years and they didn't see their houses and their hard-earned money went to something that they thought might never succeed. But it was the organization that pulled them through. You're really right. It's, you know, I think I might mention that in the book, it's what uh, W.E.B. Du Bois says, what we need is intelligent cooperation. Otherwise, we'll be going into the future as mere beggars again. And I think uh, the Better Homes Group demonstrates that. That's one of the lessons for us, really, the importance of organization in a addition to perseverance and courage and mm. all the other, you know, virtues it takes. But organization is very, very important. And that stuck with them for the whole time. So, so if I understand correctly, they would collect money from the individuals and that they take that money and build one house, then collect money, build the next house or how? No. Okay. No, no. The money just went for... Uh, in order to um, have assessments or in order to secure the lots that gotcha. needed to be little, the money went for things that they were doing or hiring another lawyer or things like gotcha. that. It, okay. it was the organization Better Homes of South Bend who uh, negotiated with the bankers. And it was only after they had agreed that the loans would go out to individu individuals would get their own loans from the banks. It was better homes for a good part of it. When you mentioned the 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 banks, would you say, or in your opinion, would you think that the root cause of a lot of this pain is the banks or are the banks? Because when you look at it time and time again, if you can't get the mortgage, even today, people are getting unfair appraisals on their properties. Therefore, they can't sell them at the true value. And that's just happened like less than a week ago. And then Wells Fargo has problems with discrimination in their banks. So it seems like because we live in a capitalist society, the financial instrument, the bloodline of our society is the banking system. And if that's the root cause, if we could take that cancer out of the banking system, maybe some of these other housing organizations, other educational edu edu uh, instruments and systems would be a little more positive. Would you, is that fair assessment? Yes. I mean, and you mentioned appraisals in that study recently, right? Mm -hmm. But it also goes to um, that if they want to buy a house, it often appraises below 
what the banks would lend money for. Because right. if it's in a black area, it just appraises low. Right. And there are so many people now. I think there is a sort of grassroots movement of African-American people who want to improve their neighborhood. And some we know some here, uh, because my husband does sustainable neighborhood development, who uh, older women who just use whatever spare cash they have to refurbish their house in order to have a better place to live. But they have to do it over the years and so on because they don't get, their house doesn't appraise for a loan, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a re, uh, I don't know what you call it. Reassessment? Uh, Reassessment, a reappraisal or no re- refinance? Um, for redoing it in in some way that you know but there's a lot of people now who manage to get around that and um black developers in black neighborhoods bit by bit house by house are beginning here in south bend to refurbish their neighborhoods and to help improve the areas but uh, my we are living right uh, there's a big road called Portage. We're living on the river, but across is Portage Avenue. The other side is largely black. My husband has several places there and they just don't assess for what they are worth. You know, they are because people, the assessor comes and maybe sees a black person walk Mm -hmm. around and whoops, the appraisal value drops by thousands. Mm -hmm. That is still a main, main problem. Yeah. But I hope people are beginning to address that. 